Hello and welcome to Health Outreach Partners podcast series, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. In this eight-part series, we'll hear from subject matter experts on the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly its effects on mental health and well-being. In each episode, you'll hear from different members of our healthcare workforce, community members, and Health Outreach Partners' own team about challenges and lessons learned from the pandemic. We appreciate the importance of reflection and recognition on the profound impacts COVID-19 and the pandemic response efforts have had on our lives and on our mental health. We are excited to share lessons learned from our esteemed guests and imagine a safer, healthier world for all. Hello, I'm Cynthia Selmy, Executive Director of Health Outreach Partners. In this episode, we will be discussing the mental health impacts of the pandemic on the American Asian Pacific Islander community. There is a long history of discriminatory practices, racist discourse, and policies directed against Asian communities across the United States. The COVID-19 pandemic exasperated existing racism and discrimination and saw a rise in hate crimes and anti-Asian sentiments. The influences of racism, violence, and discriminatory practices before and during the COVID-19 pandemic have taken a tremendous toll on the physical and mental health of the AAPI community. Recognizing the impacts on mental health that racism and discrimination has had on the AAPI community prior to and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we are honored to have representatives from the Asian Mental Health Project here with us today to discuss the importance of mental health services for the AAPI community. Asian Mental Health Project is a 501c3 nonprofit serving to empower and educate Asian communities to seek mental health resources. Carrie is the founder and executive director of AMHP, and Tarm is their director of partnerships. Welcome, Carrie and Tarm. We are honored to have you both here with us today. To begin, Carrie, can you tell us about the work of Asian Mental Health Project? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're so grateful and thank you both. Thank you all for having us here today. Uh, So Asian Mental Health Project is a nonprofit organization and our goal is just to make uh, mental health more digestible and more approachable for uh, the uh, AAPI, uh, AAPDA community. Um, And so the way we do that is we organize community events. We provide this mental health, you know, funding program, uh, and we also do uh, multimedia resources as well, as well as partnerships here and there that basically just help make mental health more accessible and easier to talk about for um, Asian folks. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Why was Asian Mental Health Project founded and how were you able to get it off the ground? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that. It's definitely been a long time coming, uh, and a lot of it has to do with a really passionate on the ground team, uh, such as Tarm and our group of volunteers. Uh, but it was started initially. Um, essentially, what had happened was I graduated college, and I realized I'd went through all these, you know, mental health issues uh, that I felt like could have been could have been earlier uh, managed or mitigated had I had the resources 
resources and vocabulary and confidence to be able to talk about it within my peers, within my family. Uh, cultural stigma is such a very large thing around mental health. Uh, so a lot of times people don't feel safe or comfortable uh, going to their close ones, their loved ones, uh, to be able to talk about their mental health. And I think that, you know, contributed a lot to uh, mental health issues that are very specific to Asian folks. And for me personally, uh, after I had, you know, gone through therapy, I sort of had a very intense mental health situation when I was in college, uh, in which, you know, I was forced into mental health care, all those things. Uh, after sort of coming out of that end, I reflected and I was like, wow, a lot of this has to do with my grappling with my identity uh, as an Asian person, uh, and also grappling with the cultural stigma and also deprioritizing mental health because I didn't feel like it was worth my money and things like that. So it just made me realize that all of these factors where that prevented me from getting mental health care, a lot of it had to do with my culture as well, or, you know, or it had to do with some of the limitations I thought my culture would have around it. Um, and so, yeah, so after that, I did some of my own research. I uh, essentially posted on Instagram. I was like, hey, I think I'm struggling with these things as an Asian person. Like, does anybody else feel this as well? Uh, and a lot of people did. So I conducted like 60, over 60 interviews of individuals to see like what this would look like. My background is in public relations and not mental health care. So that's all about making information easier to understand. Uh, so I was like, okay, if I can compile, you know, data from this research about what people need, then maybe we can build something to help folks out. Uh, and so it started as an Instagram account. Uh, and then fast forward a couple of years, I was just posting my learnings, uh, COVID hits. Uh, and when COVID hit, a lot of folks were looking inward and looking for mental health care. And there were a lot of, you know, reports that are continuing now of, you know, the anti-Asian racism and xenophobia, and that really heavily affected our community. And so because it affected our community, people were looking for places to turn. And so we launched, you know, Stay and Check In, which is our weekly wellness series, as well as I was really, really keen on putting together educational like events and workshops around race, culture, mental health, like all of that, those intersections there. Uh, that was really, really important to me. Uh, and so from that, it sort of gained a lot of traction because uh, people really needed a space. Uh, and so that allowed us to build out more events. And yeah, it sort of brought us to where we are today, where we have like three key pillars that we're building out. We have finally uh, established 501c3 status, which was really great and rewarding. And we're just continuing to build from there to, to really strengthen our mission. So yeah. Wow. Congratulations on building such a great organization and really, um, first of all, sharing your personal story and turning it into such great work. Tarm, as the Director of Partnerships, please tell us how you became involved with the project and your role and how it has evolved. Yeah, thanks so much um, for your question, Cindy. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's been quite a journey, but also, also it hasn't been a long time, but also feels like a long time being with Asian Mental Health Project. So I actually yeah encountered Asian Mental Health Project on Instagram, um, so through social media. Um, yeah, I was just looking for more um, mental health education that had more of an emphasis on cultural context um, and like cultural values um, between like mental health and being part of um, the Asian and like Asian American community. So I ended up um, yeah encountering Asian Mental Health Project on Instagram. Um, and so love the work that the organization was doing. And so I wanted to be involved. Initially, I attempted to try to do a blog post that didn't happen because when I'm in like in grad school <laughs> during then, already just doing so much writing and like, I was just like, okay, I think this is going to be a little bit on the back burner, but actually, so 
I encountered um, the organization's Instagram around like 2019. So a little bit like before the uh, before the pandemic. And so this was actually also the first year that the Survivor Support Summit was being launched. And so during the time, I was working in a violence prevention. And so in terms of the Survivor Support Summit, um, I was like, hey, like, these are some things that I can offer in terms of like my assistance and like some of the resources that I was like connected to in working within a collegiate department that specifically focused on supporting survivors. And so originally, the plan was that I was going to be a part of a panel to talk about prevention. And then that ended up not happening. And then I ended up supporting Carrie on the back end in terms of programming. And so, yeah, I guess after that, Carrie was like, hey, are you interested in like joining us? I was like, oh my gosh, sure. Why not? Um, So yeah, so I I kind of went from, um, you know, doing a little bit more of the programming stuff. And then I uh, dabbled a little bit more into operations and like special projects, um, which was a previous role that I have. And then I ended up growing um, into this um, partnership side. So now I'm I'm uh, landed in the director of um, partnership uh, position. So that's kind of like a little bit of my journey um, with being a part of Asian Mental Health Project. And yeah, still a part of it, still loving it. <laughs> yeah, I actually really wanted to add to just say that Tarma is amazing. And the funny thing, well, funny, interesting <laughs> is that um, the pre- violence prevention center that she worked at was the same one that I was like admitted at when I first started my mental health journey. And I didn't know that until like later, you know, when we talked about it. So it was just really, really special uh, to see her, you know, join the team and also just like be an absolutely amazing person. It was just this full circle moment. So I'm really appreciative of her uh, and all of our uh, volunteers. You never know where life's journey will take you and the people that you meet. I know that in my career, I have, um, you know, valued all of my professional relationships and know that I have circled back and worked with people many times and we've crossed paths. And that's just thank you both for sharing that story. Asian Mental Health Project got its start in 2019. So prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, how did the onset of the pandemic and the subsequent rise in anti-Asian sediment influence the services provided by your organization? Carrie, do you want to tell us how that has been for you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So the pattern that we noticed is that every time something really big in the news, um, whether it was, you know, everything shut down, hate crimes are on the rise. Um, I remember, or any sort of like racial collective trauma as well. I remember with everything that happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, people were really ready to mobilize on one front, but really needed a place to rest as Asian folks to process the space uh, and process, you know, what uh, you know, how how race and identity all intersect with their mental health, because it really does take a toll, like something we discuss a lot is collective trauma, which is, you know, the the over like the a large scale event that affects multiple, multiple people at once, uh, and processing it all together. Uh, so that absolutely impacted the services that we had, like, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but you know, to expand, I, we didn't offer any sort of like interactive spaces until COVID hit because people really needed that reflection, uh, you know, those reflection moments and community. They wanted people to talk to. I wanted someone to talk to at that time as well. And so I think 
uh, due to the need of the community, we started opening up more, uh, you know, groups. And so now, you know, I mentioned stay and check-in was a weekly wellness check-in. Just anyone can kind of show up and we try to bring a mental health professional to talk about, you know, a topic of their choice where, you know, you may not usually be able to learn about that in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, and that's been going pretty strong for over two years. Uh, so strong that, you know, we are able to, uh, we've opened up our Queer Asian Mental Health Club, uh, which brings together, you know, uh, LGBTQIA plus uh, Asian folks to talk about, you know, queerness and mental health, which is really, really awesome. Uh, we also have an Asian men's wellness group uh, that is active as well, just because, you know, I think um, men are underserved in the uh, mental health community. Uh, and we're also hoping to expand more of these affinity groups. Uh, I think we're looking to do a women's focused one, femmes focused one, as well as one that is focused specifically for clinicians as well, just because, you know, uh, we all need that sort of extra support there. Uh, but yeah, I think that was sort of the major shift that happened with COVID because people were feeling really isolated, really lonely, and needed a place to, to unpack that was free that, you know, didn't, you know, I think one thing that we, of course, we, we advocate for professional mental health care, but that's not the whole piece of the pie. You know, community care is something that we really advocate for, but while rounding all the resources that you're able to process your mental health with, and we're just hoping to provide spaces for that as well. Yeah, that's great that you were able to um, create a program so quickly and make that impact during the public health crisis. Um, Tarm, tell us about um, how the programming and community events have evolved since the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, so um, since I work on the partnership side, I, I get to have a lot of um, really great and fun and incredible conversations with people who are current partners or like people who are interested in like partnering with us in the future. And I feel like kind of like similarly to what Carrie was saying in terms of whenever there is a big event that has happened, um, I feel like there is this phase of kind of like this responsiveness, like needing to like respond to the event. And so I felt like when I was like having a lot more, uh, a lot more like conversations about like a year or two ago, especially with corporate, corporate organizations, and even like maybe even larger grassroots organizations too, there were leaders of the either corporate business or like organizations that uh, really needed to support their Asian and Asian American co-workers and their colleagues. Um, and similarly with like stay and check in, just like needing a space to be able to have these conversations, to process all this trauma, to process even all this grief. Um, and so a lot of these organizations felt like they didn't have like the expertise or like they didn't feel comfortable with facilitating these conversations. Um, and so they really wanted um, someone from Asian Mental Health Project to uh, create this space and to facilitate these type of dialogues that can be vulnerable and they can bring up big emotions as well. Um, and there's also like a safety aspect to it as well in the sense where employers and staff members, uh, especially for those who identify as of Asian descent, they may or may not be necessarily be comfortable with talking about their trauma or talking about their grief with another, another person in upper management who may be trying to facilitate the space with good intentions. But just from like a safety perspective, organizations kind of wanted us to step in so that we can create this kind of more of like a neutral space um, for people to be able to talk about, you know, these type of like big topics, again, addressing um, the rise in violence um, against Asian and Asian American communities to talk about workplace harassment, to talk about microaggressions. So um, just having more of like that neutral party. And also I think it helps that because, especially in the, in the name of our organization, that they feel comfortable knowing that um, there's an organization who is able to have the skills um, and to be able to navigate these type of conversations. 
Wow, that's really cool. Can you expand a little bit, Tarm, on how those groups with other organizations or companies evolved and maybe tell us a story about the impact that Asian Mental Health Project had with a particular organization or company or employee? Totally. And I think it's it's one of those things where I feel like it's such a big impact, but it's something like so simple in terms of to be able to just create a space, to create a space, to hold space, to allow people to feel their emotions and to allow them to have the thoughts that they have, especially if thoughts are related to anger, related to rage, even depressive thoughts at the same time, and just to allow people to be. And so I feel like in even just hosting a one hour session to just process like what is talk like you know what is like going on in the world um, and what people are experiencing I feel like there has just been a lot of gratitude um, a lot of gratitude from people saying yeah just thank you so much for hosting this space because either in my family we don't talk about it enough or in this workplace systemic environment that we're in and especially with the concept of invisibility, feeling like as if, oh, our problems don't matter, or this is only a race issue, or like this is only a gender issue. And so just being able to really talk about these type of intersections in a more nuanced type of way. And also, I feel like part of the work that we do is also, again, like providing mental health resources through multimedia education. Um, and so for some organizations, we've been able to provide kind of curated like mental health education. So we've done toolkits before. Um, so again, it, it's just like a toolkit of different mental health resources that we have. Again, like how to find a therapist, how to write an email, what are just some of the questions to ask, some resources of different therapists like database, because we don't, we don't have therapists who work for Asian Mental Health Project, but we are connected to people in the community who can provide those services. We are able to provide these mental health education pieces um, that, again, are curated towards Asian and Asian American um, mental health. That's a really great resource for the community. That's really awesome how you've expanded this work. One of the stressors that we see for BIPOC communities is the effects of racism on their daily lives and on their mental health. However, the AAPI communities often are left out of the conversation around racism and things like the model minority myth and stigma surrounding mental health care creates barriers to accessing the resources that you've described for us, Tarm. Would you both speak on the special projects you do to see mental health services provisions as a way to address some of these issues? Carrie, maybe you can start us off on this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a, definitely a big question because, you know, the question of like, how do we... <laughs> How do we solve racism, which is, you know, obviously an oversimplified version of, <laughs> uh, but uh, all that is to say uh, from a mental health perspective, I think to address the mental health impacts of racism and to unlearn and to heal from that is combating racism in itself, um, to acknowledge that it exists, to acknowledge that it affects you, and then to take measures to heal from it and take measures to unlearn is a form of practicing anti-racism. Uh, for the resources that we provide, my big question when these happen uh, is, you know, how did we get here? How, why am I thinking the way I do right now? Like, what, why, why is the human state in the state that we're in right now? And we cannot unpack that question without unpacking systemic oppression 
white supremacy, uh, model minority myth. Thank you for bringing that up. And the idea of like the perpetual foreigner. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you know, Asian folks often feel excluded from discussions about race. And it's so interesting because it's actually, you know, if we think if we think about like legislation from back in the day, it was very literally black and white. Uh, and it was, you know, any other sort of race or any identity was actually excluded from, from you know, legislation and, and from any sort of government papers. So people had to sort of fight their way in to be recognized as ethnic groups and racial groups. Um, but all that is to say is, you know, it's also just goes to show that it's such a construct <laughs> of all these things. You know, everything is uh, something that's supposed to be abstract, is made into, is codified into a into law. And that just makes it, it, it makes it very difficult when all of this is baked into, uh, you know, our history like that. Uh, so uh, I think in terms of unpacking mental health, you know, there's, of course, there's going to be mental health implications of that. You know, when you're feeling excluded, you're feeling isolated, lonely, et cetera, like just at a very, very base level, or are you feeling alienated that has very serious and, and real mental health effects. So I think it is super important to address, you know, systemic racism, uh, other forms of oppression. Colonialism is something uh, that comes up a lot, uh, you know, with a lot of folks. And even now, like if we think about the people that come to our spaces, the people that ask a lot of the questions they ask are like, how do I heal my intergenerational trauma? Uh, I I, I want to feel understood by my therapist inherently without having to explain, you know, my mannerisms as of a different culture. You know, a lot of these things have um, real day-to-day -day effects that affect, you know, people's mental health. Uh, and it's because of, you know, the history that, you know, we have to unpack in order to understand our own minds in order to heal our mental health today. So, uh, you know, with our programming, with, you know, the events that, you know, our week to week over week uh, wellness check-ins, we, you know, try to incorporate an, an educational piece to that. And oftentimes it's a history lesson, uh, you know, unpacking why we are the way we are. That's why Tarm has mentioned uh, you know, the Survivor Support Summit. We talk about justice and how that correlates with mental health. We talk about, you know, the, uh, again, like the overarching systems that we have uh, and, and tie it to the personal. The phrase that I use is like, how do we tie the personal to the universal and the universal to the personal? Uh, I think that is a really important way of gauging um, how to address your own mental health is by understanding the world around you. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Um, Tarm, can you talk a little more about this and why influences like the model minority myth and stigma exasperate the problem of mental health services and access for AAPI communities? Oh, gosh, I feel like the question can be its own lecture. In itself, I think I might have given a lecture, like a whole like 50 minutes um, <laughs> on it as well. But something that just comes to mind is that like, you know, historically and culturally, the concept of mental health isn't something that has been like very familiar, um, especially for my parents' generations and like older, kind of the understandings of mental health has been understood through more of like a physical understanding of pain. So yeah, when it comes to mental health, um, I feel like in terms of this, the stigma, I feel like it can be easy in terms of culturally where some of the phrases could be like, oh, just like change the way that you think, or like, just like think more positively and like everything will be like, okay. And because mental health is a lot of the times something that you like, can't see, you know, like face values, a lot of the internal experience that people do not see from the outside, um, that there can be the assumption that like, oh, you're okay, like you're fine, um, you know, just change your like circumstances. And so I feel like that in itself, you know, it, 
especially if that is like the culture and like the mentality that has been passed down from generation to generation, um, that I feel like that is like a bit, that's like a big part of the stigma of not understanding mental health or if anything, the closest thing to like mental health is being quote unquote, a person is like crazy. And if also like there's that component of language barrier as well. Um, I know when I think about having like conversations about mental health with like my parents, I know that when I've asked them like, oh, how do you translate mental health? It stops them in their track. They're like, mm-hmm. what? Mental health. And so then they're trying to translate other ways of saying mental health. They're like, okay, brain health. But then like, that isn't quite what mental, there is a component to that, but like, and then they're thinking, oh, a different type of health. So I feel like, especially with, at least for like my parents' generations, a little bit older, more of like mental health concerns um, is also represented through like the body. Um, and I don't think there's that connection, that immediate like connection between the two. Also, I feel like there can be a lot of things like knots, just things like muscle tension, things, um, especially uh, with trauma, um, especially what um, the literature and like evidence is practice have shown is that a lot of trauma and trauma symptoms is held in the body. So while for those who may not think that is, you know, uh, an issue of like mental health, what they're feeling is like through their body. Um, and again, there isn't that like connection um, between the two sometimes. So yeah, so that those are just like a couple things to to mind that comes for me when it comes to um, like stigma and like that like cultural aspect um, as well. Thank you for, you know, tying mental health and trauma to actual physical symptoms, because I think we oftentimes don't put it together. And I know that when I am experiencing high levels of stress, you know, sometimes I feel like I just have that knot in my chest and often throughout the day, just connect it with what's going on around me. And the world's been very challenging lately. So I imagine so many people are really um, suffering both mentally and physically from this pandemic. Which brings me to my next question. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a source of tremendous trauma and stress and grief for so many. And we know that mental health resources are often inaccessible or unavailable to so many communities. Data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services also reveals that AAPI adults are about three times less likely to seek help than their white counterparts. How can health centers, clinics, therapists make mental health services more accessible, particularly for AAPI communities? Tarm, maybe you can start by giving us your thoughts on this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like with your question, I'm just like thinking about the whole partnerships element. Um, I feel like a lot of the work that we do is very community oriented and like very like community minded. And like the idea, especially since a lot of the mental health concerns um, that the community experiences, like Carrie has mentioned before, is collective trauma. Um, And so like there is, so in order to, this is like my bias and like my belief is that a big part of healing from collective trauma is to engage in collective healing um, together. And so I feel like this is one of the reasons why that like I love working on the partnership side is to be able to like make these connections. And like, even if it's something that Asian Mental Health Project as an organization, like we can't provide, sometimes we'll get requests that are just out of our scope or like we don't have like the resources for it. But this is why like we're having conversations with partners and like corporate organizations and other people who are also doing um, the grassroots work alongside us 
so that if there is like a request or someone needs something in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm keeping these organizations and partners in mind so that, Hey, like I don't have this, but this organization would be like so great to be able to provide this. And like just making these like beautiful connections in the hopes of making more of like a collective impact and for people to like know each other because while I know that like Asian Mental Health Project, I feel like we've been so fortunate to um, have like a pretty big social media presence. We also recognize that there are incredible people and inc- incredible organizers that also are doing works in their own spheres um, in, in their own location as well. And so, yeah, we just like to connect um, people together. And so um, in terms of like making um, mental health education and like resources like accessible, I feel like one of those things is let us have a seat at the table, invite us. <laughs> you know, invite us and then also pay us um, at the same time, because I think there also is that (laughs) level of like, especially of how kind-hearted people who work in nonprofit spaces can be in in terms of being able to compensate people for their time and like their wisdom, um, especially since knowing that historically um, those who identify as BIPOC um, have been paid a lesser value or like a lesser compensation. Yeah, definitely like invite us. Like we want to be there. We want to be able to support um, your organization. We want to be able to support your Asian slash Asian American colleagues, um, staff members, students, because we also work, uh, we also like help out with a lot of collegiate settings too. invite us, you know, we, we want to help. And if it's something that we can't provide, then we will like connect you and like support them and pay them at the same time. So yeah, just making these like little connections and just, you know, like reaching out to us. Um, we, we'd love to help out. All right. Thank you um, for sharing that part of um, HOP's programming really involves partnerships among community-based organizations and health centers. So we definitely agree with you that partnerships are vital to community wellness across our country. And and I also agree with you around the payment piece. Uh, One of my mottos throughout my career in nonprofits is no margin, no mission. And I think we have to recognize that in order for us to do this good work, we do have to be able to be paid and be paid a fair wage. Carrie, I want to ask you, as the founder of Asian Mental Health Project, what's your vision for expanding your services and making mental health services more accessible to the AAPI community? Yeah, no, thank you so much for uh, asking that question. I think from a practical standpoint, we do just want to be really focused. I'm not necessarily of the mindset that wrote like extreme, you know, people are really like high growth oriented folks where it's like, I need to be the biggest and the best. No, I'm really keen on sort of um, really solidifying our three pillars and really abiding by the mission of, you know, making mental health as accessible and as approachable as possible in, you know, whatever capacity that is. So what that looks like now is, you know, we sort of expanded into uh, more sort of community building and coalition building. Uh, We've been doing a lot of like really great in-person events and we're hoping to bring that nationally uh, as well Uh, and hoping to um, make mental health care more accessible by expanding our grant. Our actual, one of my big dreams for this was to uh, provide, um, you know, micro grants for people to kickstart their mental health journey. So we were able to provide, you know, 25 people $500 just this last year, and we're in a position to be able to expand that. And I want to expand that further. You know, it's the um, one thing that I live by is, you know, 
making things as accessible as possible, we have to make our resources free or affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really want to be able to that all while knowing, like, you know, as Charm was saying, it's so important. We also want to be able to, you know, fairly compensate, you know, anybody who's doing this amazing work uh, along with us. Uh, so I know that's like a long winded uh, way of saying, you know, my vision is to my vision is to help as many people and as thoroughly as possible by building out and really solidifying our three pillars um, of, you know, community events, multimedia resources, uh, and our mental health fund. Wow. Well, thank you. That is, you know, a, quite a mission in and of itself. So I think that that's awesome. All right. Before we wrap up our conversation today, what is something you'd like listeners to take away from today's conversation Tarm, can you go ahead and start us off? Gosh, I have so many things that I can say about this too. Yeah, I, I feel like, especially in being, you know, part of a beautiful culture um, that really values and like prioritize um, collectivism and like community, really like lean into that, you know, um, like really lean into the idea where like we need each other. We need, we need each other. We also need to take care of ourselves at the same time. And if you haven't reached out to someone in a long time to tell them that you love them and that like you care for them, and that you think about them, like do it. Like, especially in a time where I feel like there's just um, just like rising like mental health concerns, especially around like anxiety and depression and like substance use as well, you know? And so I feel like really lean, lean into that, be in community um, with one another, spend time with people. And yeah, also when it comes to like, I feel like taking care of mental health, I feel like um, my understanding of wellness is that it's like multidimensional. And while I feel like we do take care of a lot of like the emotional and like cognitive and like psychological side of part of the work that like we do, um, we also like recognize that like there are like seven, seven slash like eight levels of like dimensions of wellness. And so like take care of those other pieces, right? Like taking care of your financial wellness, your spiritual wellness, your relational wellness, and like really look into that to see if there's any area that you feel like needs a little bit more, more nurturing. Thank you. Carrie, what advice do you have for our listeners? And what would you like to share for individuals and communities about taking care of their mental health? Yeah, I think the first thing to ingrain is uh, to whether or not you actively practice affirmations or not. I have some affirmations for folks, you know, uh, it is I am deserving of mental health care. I am deserving of joy. I am deserving of peace just by existing. And, you know, for me, my hope for my intention of setting that out to whoever listens to this is, you know, to value your mental health because it is very valuable and uh, something that you definitely deserve to take care of. I think if you are in a position and you need help, ask for the help. You know, I think it's so important to be able to voice your concerns and keep telling your story and keep you know, saying how you feel, um, it's, you know, not only going to help you, but it will help people around you as well. And in order to cultivate that change, uh, we have to keep telling our stories and have to keep showing how we feel and telling how we feel, because that's how, you know, it, it, it how, that's how these things exist. Uh, and lastly, I know we mentioned a lot about organizational building. Uh, I think the advice that I wanted to share is, you know, if you don't see a seat at the table, or if you don't see a resource for you, you have the power to make it. 
you know, yourself and that will help the other people as well as yourself. I speak from personal experience saying, you know, I think working on this project and building it with uh, Tarm and with our uh, amazing team has saved me truly. I think uh, I was in such a dark place, a very difficult, hopeless place uh, before uh, starting Asian Mental Health Project and this and the conversations that we've had and the love and community that is there around mental health and, and healing you know, I really feel so grateful to be able to have tapped into and it's out there for anybody. So I just encourage folks to reach out, uh, tell people you love them, tell them you want to be loved and and cared for because you deserve it just by just by being you. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing your personal mental health journey and the story of your organization. And thank you, Tarm, for also sharing your journey and your great work doing community building with this project. I want to thank you on behalf of Health Outreach Partners for your time and sharing your great work. And most of all, thank you for doing this work and being there for the AAPI communities. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Outreach Partners podcast, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. This publication was supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the United States Department of Health and Human Services under grant number U3FCS4-1848-0100, a national training and technical assistance cooperative agreement under American Rescue Plan Act funding in the amount of $211,821. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you.